What is up, Royal Army? My name is Royal Mata, and I will be your host. Welcome to Royal Health Radio. Today, we'll be talking to Chelsea Richson, who is the host of the Mind Gut Connection podcast. We'll be diving into her personal struggles dealing with gut issues such as Crohn's disease and IBS, as well as talking about the importance of our gut, why antibiotics could be so dangerous, how stress could be causing gut issues, how to deal with that stress, and also how your gut could be hijacking your brain to eat those double cheeseburgers. And without further ado, let's get into the conversation with my friend, Chelsea Ritson. Hey, Chelsea, what's up? Hello, Roy. Uh, not much. I'm just uh, doing a podcast with you. How are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> uh, you're coming all the way from New Zealand, right? Yep, Auckland, New Zealand. I was always curious, why do people from New Zealand call themselves Kiwis? Because it's our native bird. We have a small helpless bird called a kiwi. It doesn't fly. Um, it's nocturnal. And I don't know why we compare ourselves to those, to be honest. They're really cute. But yeah, yeah that's one of our native birds. Oh, not so the fruit. Not the fruit. <laughs> that's what I always had in mind. Okay, so before we kind of dive into the content, I just want everyone to get to know you a little bit better. So can you kind of explain what you do and then also... What's your backstory and like what kind of led you to where you are currently? Sure. So at the moment, I'm on this grand journey of helping specifically women to feel empowered with their bodies, to feel empowered with their minds. My journey has been a long one. Um, I've got, I've had my real ups and downs through struggles with mental health and physical health and them combined. And I think the one thing that really set me off on this journey that I'm on at the moment is being diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 2015 when I was at university and I had chronic pain. I was fatigued. I was acting like a just not a kind person. And I thought that was me. I thought that I was just a horrible person and I, I just didn't like to be around people or do things. And I saw when everyone was at uni and they're going out drinking and stuff and I just wanted to stay home and sleep. And then when I finally got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, it was like a, and I was given um, high dose steroids. It was like this uh, blanket had been lifted out of my face and I could see the world and I was calm and I was like, that wasn't me. So it's kind of started this, this interest in how much our gut affects everything that we do, the people that we are, the, the way that we act with other people. And I've just wanted to learn more and more and more about it. And it's gone on this journey of becoming an entrepreneur and starting my own business in social media coaching, and then just wanting to help more and more people. And here I am today, just kind of following this path of life. And it's really led into that empowerment thing, because I just think people really need to know about this, that they have so much control over the way that their life goes in the direction of their life. And the fact that they are so able to be happy and live fulfilled. It doesn't have to all be day to day looking forward to the weekend kind of lives. <laughs> yeah, I know you had some um, a little bit of pushback with talking to your doctors about your symptoms and stuff. Can you kind of go in a little bit more depth about that whole experience that you had trying to diagnose what you actually had? Oh my gosh, yeah. So it was a while of chronic pain and I thought it was normal. And I think something that made that a reality is the fact that when I was younger, my mom would never believe me when I was sick and she'd always send me to school anyway and just if you're still sick come home you know and in, in some ways that was a good thing because most of the time I just miraculously got better um, and then other times it was frustrating and so for me to be in pain I didn't feel like I could I guess reach out for help because it was just what I had to deal with and it was just that was how it was but then um, yeah 
I just, it just got worse and worse and worse until I went to Asia and I came back and I went to the doctor and I said, I have really bad stomach pain. And she thought, you know, I guess as most GPs, general practitioners would, yeah, you have a stomach bug. So she gave me antibiotics and I took them for two weeks and the pain got worse. She gave me another type of antibiotic. And after just a few days, I was in so much pain. Any like pressure on my stomach would lead me to tears. And she was like, oh, and then sent me to hospital. And there I was diagnosed with a a bacterial infection called Clostridium difficile, which funnily enough, I caught because I had taken so many antibiotics. So huge mind screw up for that. Like I've now my relationship with GPs and antibiotics is a bit, a bit strange. And then after a few more months of tests and saying it wasn't that in the first place, I finally got diagnosed with Crohn's disease by actually going to a specialist, by going to a gastroenterologist. Mm. So what is Crohn's disease exactly? Crohn's disease is an autoimmune condition of the gut. So you have a crap ton of bacteria in your gut and all of them serve a purpose and it helps you to break down food and everything like that. But what Crohn's disease and your gut naturally has an immune response. If you get a stomach bug, for example, your, your gut will be like, oh no, that's a bad bacteria, fight it. And then kill it. And that's what happens when you have all those symptoms of food poisoning to your body fighting it. So if you think about your symptoms of food poisoning, right, and hold on to that thought, when you have uh, Crohn's disease, your body's like, oh no, that's a bad bacteria, fight it. But it wasn't a bad bacteria. It was a good one. And so it's like walking around blindfolded, you know, like trying to kill everyone. And so if you can imagine that symptoms of food poisoning could be quite easily cross-related to symptoms of Crohn's disease, because it's just trying to fight things that they shouldn't fight all the time. So you were dealing with that chronic pain your whole life? No. So that started when I was around 19. And one of the most common ages and demographics of uh, people who diagnose with Crohn's disease are Caucasian females in their early 20s. And that's basically what I was (laughs) um, 19 years old. I don't know why they're still figuring out where it even comes from. But yes, so that just started when I was around 19. And I was diagnosed when I was around 21. So how did you deal with after the antibiotics and after they kind of diagnosed you with that what happened next how did you get better yeah so they gave me high strength steroids like I said, and that eased the pain a lot. But what had actually happened, and I think this is amazing, is the um, ileum where the large intestine meets the small intestine had been become so inflamed that it had actually shut. And my body had created a pathway around that shut part, which is called a fistula, to allow food to pass. And that's what was causing me so much pain was the inflammation and the abnormal like pathway. I think that's amazing, by the way. Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. Okay, I was in a lot of pain but wow my body was like no you're not gonna die we got you you know and built this pathway around where it's closed and that had to be cut out so six months later I got a um a surgery which was a a laparoscopic ileocolic resection where they took out around 30 centimeters of bowel took it out stitched me back up again and since then my Crohn's disease has been really good but when you have Crohn's disease when you have gut issues you tend to build up a lot of intolerances and food problems so that's what I've been battling with for the past few years as well and they said I had to be on immunosuppressants for the rest of my life which I don't agree with because I took them for a few months so yeah okay the immunosuppressants 
suppress your immune system. They stop your your gut from fighting the good bacteria, but they also stop your body from recovering from colds. They stop you from healing your bruises and your wounds. And I was like, what? I don't, I shouldn't be having this cold for three weeks. And my bruises went healing. And I was like, this is not natural. I don't want this to be my life. So I stopped taking them almost immediately. And how and- do you feel now? <laughs> And at the moment, my Crohn's is fine. I Mm -hmm. obviously I'm not um, a doctor. I'm just saying what I did for myself. But at the moment, my Crohn's is okay. It's the IBS that I'm battling with right now. Mm. Did you get the IBS from the surgery? That's a great question. I, I don't know. And I think even before I had the surgery, I was already having food intolerances. So I was already had done the tests to confirm I was lactose and fructose intolerant, which they do a, like a hydrogen breath test, which is really cool. I was like, what? No, <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And so they already diagnosed me with that and some had some of my doubts about gluten. And yeah. And so it, I'd already been through that. It's just kind of gotten it did gradually get worse over the last few years until a year and a bit ago and it was just unbearable all of my symptoms were unbearable so I had to step up the the way that I looked at food and started the low FODMAP diet so okay before we get into the low FODMAP diet some people might be like low FODMAP diet what is that but for everyone listening can you kind of explain IBS as well sure so IBS can be can come up in all different ways I know people who say that IBS is the way of a a doctor diagnosing what they don't know and so there's like a lot of (laughs) um differing opinions about what IBS actually is so IBS means irritable bowel syndrome and so if you can imagine any symptoms like bloating gas diarrhea and it also can then affect you know make you feel nauseous as well um, because it can come back up again that those kind of symptoms are what happens um and also constipation is another symptom that happens so it's Pretty much anything, if you can think of a day when you've had a bad stomach or a bad gut, then that's also a symptom of IBS. Hmm. Okay, so to deal with that, let's kind of segue back, you had to adopt this low FODMAP diet. Can you explain or talk more about that? Yeah, so low low FODMAP diet. So F-O-D-M-A-P, it's an acronym. Um, And I... Oh, going to try to name all of all six of them. Ah, so it's um, fructans, no fructose, oleosaccharides, monosaccharides, oleosaccharides, and polysaccharides. Yeah. Um, oh wait, diosaccharides. I think was the D. It's like just words, basically, and it represents six different types of um, things that you find in your food. So, quite commonly, an example is that onion and garlic are the most common food that is found in everything that is also a high FODMAP food. And I downloaded this app by Monash University and they have um, a great, it's a great resource for anyone who's thinking of doing this diet. And it tells you what food is, is generally safe or unsafe for your gut. And so which ones are kind of easier on the gut to digest and it's easier for your, your, your body to process. So it doesn't cause bloating and gas and diarrhea and everything yeah has the whole process of uh implementing this diet been hard for you yeah and you know it's it's really interesting that we are having this podcast right now because i went to see the dietitian on monday and so i have some kind of new thoughts and feelings around this and so for anyone thinking about the low FODMAP diet, I really recommend you speak to someone about it first and 
get someone to be with you on that journey because it can be really, really isolating and you can feel really lonely and it can impact your mental health a lot. And I didn't realize how much it was impacting my mental health until Monday. And that's why I, like I told you, I took the day off from everything. And so you're supposed to do the low FODMAP diet for about six weeks. And so this essentially what it's doing is resetting your gut. So if you're having IBS symptoms and you do the low FODMAP diet, you should, they should ease up. And if they do, if they get better, then you start the process of reintroduction. And so, for example, you might start with like um, a, one clove of garlic on day one and then a bit more on day two and a bit more on day three and see what happens with your gut. And if you get no reaction, if your gut stays fine, if you don't get those those IBS symptoms, then you're okay with garlic. So you're clear. So you move on to the next one and then you try test, for example, some apple for fructose and do that day one, day two, day three and build it up. And so because you've set this baseline, this healthy baseline for your gut, it shows you, it really, really shows you quite accurately what you're intolerant to and what you're tolerant to. What I did wrong, and I will openly admit this, is I felt so good on the low FODMAP diet from what I felt before that I didn't do the reintroduction properly. So I did part of it, but there were like, it was like a convenience thing. Like, why would I want to eat this when it could make me feel this way and I have plans. I can't want to I don't want to be stuck at home, you know? So I started rationalizing and everything and it wasn't the best thing to do to stay on it for a year because it really impacts the way that you view food and it impacts when you go out to eat. Um like going out, I would eat before I went out or I'd still do eat before I go out to eat because it's just easier than eating in a restaurant. Like you're paying so much money for food that tastes bland because you've taken all the flavor out of it anyway. So it's like, I couldn't justify it. So I would say like in terms of the low FODMAP diet that it's great, but it's not a long-term solution. I know some people listening, they could be currently going through or implementing the low FODMAP diet. Can you kind of talk to them and kind of share your experience with this whole mental part of it and, and give some advice to those that may be feeling like what you were experiencing? Yeah. So I would say, number one, go join a Facebook group or a Facebook community. If you are doing this by yourself, it's really nice to be exposed to people who are going through the same thing and maybe they're having a challenge. Maybe they are having a hard day. Maybe they had a good day. And it's what I found is when people around me are all, you know, reasonably healthy and we're at a party and everyone's just eating whatever they want. And if, you know, someone orders pizzas and everyone eats it and it's like, ah, oh, you know, so that, that kind of thing can be really isolating. So, so just whatever you do, don't, don't, isolate yourself, find a community. Maybe there's some nearby even, but online Facebook is a really good place to start for that. And then other than that, I would say when you're on the low FODMAP diet, if you're just doing a six week challenge, I would say eat before you go out. Um, it helps so much and it stops the stress. If you go into a restaurant and you're really, really hungry and you're looking at the menu and you're stressing about what's in the food, it's a terrible combination. And it's you know, speaking from experience, it's really hard. Just like, oh my gosh, and just so stressed and you're hangry and then you get hangry stressed and you're like not good company. So eat before you go out or check the menu before you before you go to the restaurant, find out where you're eating first and, and then check the menu and decide on something before you go. So you don't feel like you're a kind of a nuisance by asking all these questions to the waiter and they're going back and forth to the kitchen and all that kind of stuff. Cause yeah, I've totally been there. <laughs> I understand it's hard. So yeah, find a community and meal plan, I guess 
that would just be the main thing, meal plan. And also download the Monash Low FODMAP app because it's insanely helpful for when you're standing in the supermarket and you're searching things on your phone. Yeah. So this whole um, phase of eliminating these types of foods, right, and then introducing them back in, do you have a kind of general idea of how long that whole process usually lasts or what the most appropriate um, span is for that? Yeah, so it would be you'd you'd go on the low FODMAP diet with no no reintroduction for about three weeks, and then you'd start the reintroductions. So the reintroductions take around three days if you don't react on the first day. So then it would take around three days, and then to wait three days, and so you have a good stomach for three days, and then do the next reintroduction. Mm. So so one type of food for three days, and then try something else the next three days. Um, and then have a break for three days or at least so you have a good stomach for three days and then start another one. So you could be introducing like one to two each week. And there are, you know, if you wanted to get really technical, there's about 12 reintroductions, but standard is around eight, seven or eight. So yeah, you'd go probably around, I guess that totals up to around three months. Just about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this whole, okay, so the low FODMAP diet, it's not necessarily for people just with IBS, right? Could someone that may be still experiencing some of the symptoms jump on the low FODMAP diet as well? Yeah, and that's a great question because my sister has endometriosis and she has been reading recently around her symptoms because um, that affects like, you know, the woman's reproductive system generally, but it also gives her gut symptoms. And so she's recently been looking and researching and, and has found out that people with endometriosis sometimes choose to go on the low FODMAP diet because it can it's a really good way of filtering out foods that will affect other health conditions. So yes, totally. And I just want to kind of point out too that, you know, when you're taking on these restrictive diets, especially something like this, it, it's important that you don't do this for a long time, right? Um, because it is so restrictive. And you're not only taking out, you know, these certain foods, but you're not getting the proper amount of nutrients, right? Your variety of food is greatly decreased. With that being said, when you were doing this, was there any point where you thought that it was making your symptoms worse? Uh, or symptoms of IBS? Uh, worse? No. no. Okay. No. So this is very it, important. It made me guys, feel because, better. Yeah. So the gut is really important. About, was it 70% of our immune system uh, is actually in our gut. So can you kind of talk to them uh, more about what the importance of the gut actually is? Yeah, totally. And I think that really leads on. So, you know, when I was on the low FODMAP diet, it didn't make my symptoms worse, but they there were ish, instances of me being stressed and having IBS symptoms anyway. So yes, absolutely. The gut is really important. So if we are taking care of it and we're having any like mental stresses, you can still have IBS symptoms. And that is also something really important to consider and be like, okay, it's my diet's good. So what else is going on in my life? You know, ask yourself that. The gut is like crazy important. Um, I just have grown so much respect for it after learning so much. Yes. So the gut is really, really important. There are billions and billions of gut bacteria that live in there. And after reading about this, I grew this whole new respect, right? Because before I thought that the gut was mine and it's mine to do as I want with it. But then I realized that's not true. There's actually like 
billions and billions of living things in it that are not even me. Like they are their own kind of ecosystem, which is kind of crazy to think about and in some way can gross you out, but also amazing. Just think of it like an army of soldiers who are all like working along and they benefit you. So an example of that is everything that you eat is going to feed a certain type of bacteria, right? It's going to make one type stronger, it's going to make one type weaker. And that's where you talk about the consumption of alcohol and sugar and, you know, certain types of carbs are going to help to feed the bacteria that weaken your immune system. So there are also great foods you can eat to feed the good bacteria, which are going to benefit your immune system. And so like a really specific example, and I'm not sure what you talk about in terms of intermittent fasting, but one of the reasons this is effective for weight loss um, is because there's a certain type of bacteria that doesn't need food to survive. So most bacteria do, but this doesn't. And so when you starve, essentially you starve your gut for a while, right, each day, and that's the one that doesn't need to eat all the time. So it starts to grow when the other ones are not growing. So they're flourishing. This bacteria reduces inflammation in the body and helps to you to lose weight. And so it's just this one, this one really clear example of you taking an action or doing something with your body that's going to help this type of bacteria that's going to help your body again. So it's like a give and take to your gut. So it's crazy important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of us fall into all of these practices that really damage these bacteria, right? Yes. You've mentioned it, the, the, su- the sugar consumption, um, the stress even, right? Alcohol, all of these things are kind of working against us. And in terms of our health, it's not just the fact of, you know, alcohol is bad for you. It, it decreases your sleep quality, but it also impacts you, uh, on a deeper level and arguably in a longer run, right? When you do all of these things. So that's yeah. just and that's crazy. why yeah. And that's why it's really hard to lose weight if you drink alcohol. Like you just um it's it's kind of a barrier to losing weight, but obviously you'd know about that. Um but yes, so that's why as well as that antibiotics are um a real like I really feel and I'm not again I'm not medically certified I'm just have experience with antibiotics I really feel that antibiotics should be the last resort not the first resort so you know if you if you have any kind of um, infection or problem make sure that it's actually necessary for you to take antibiotics and antibiotics are not just the easiest thing for you to take because it takes like three months three to six months for your body to rebuild your gut bacteria after taking antibiotics like antibiotics basically just come into your gut army and then kill all of them and leave. And then what are you left with? What can you do? You have to rebuild it. So you can't just wipe them out and do nothing. You've got to be taking probiotics at the same time and also just doing that if it's really, really necessary. Yeah, I feel the same way about you. And again, guys, we, we're not physicians. We're not telling you, we're not diagnosing you, but the commonality of just prescribing antibiotics, especially in the US, um, and, and I'm guessing over there too, is just, it's so common. And like you said, it's pretty much the first thing that doctors do. But honestly, I feel like it, it sets you back so much, right? 
and you kind of think of your gut as your little friends, your little armies, and it could either be working for you or against you. So I just want to stress like it, this is so important, guys, for you to understand. So with that, what are I know you kind of mentioned some of them, but just to kind of get clear and to see uh, what people are experiencing, what are some of the symptoms that someone could have if they're having gut issues? Oh, yeah. It's just, I mean, it's the same. This is the thing, right? When I when I first got diagnosed with Crohn's, I had been overseas for a couple of years. I'm just going to totally sidetrack. And I had put my insurance on hold. So I came back and then restarted it. And so they made this argument that because I was now having um, chronic pain and, and IBS symptoms, well, I say IBS symptoms because that's literally just covers all of the gut symptoms, right? They said, because I'm having those things and I had um, stomach problems back before I went overseas that I, it was obviously a pre-existing condition, so it wasn't covered. And this frustrated me a lot because gut symptoms can be anything, right? Like it really, really, and that's why they are so hard to diagnose. And that's why IBS is also a really easy go-to for doctors to say. So you know, if you're having gut issues and your doctor's like, okay, you have IBS, then have they tried everything? Have they looked into everything would be also my first thing. And I had to really fight with the insurance company to pay for my surgery because we do have healthcare in New Zealand. So I wouldn't have had to pay anyway, but <laughs> I wanted it in a private hospital. So I fought the insurance company and I was like, this is not a pre-existing condition. And I had to like, just fight my case for the fact that just because you have stomach issues, it doesn't mean one thing. It can be so many things, you know? So yeah, gut issues, gut symptoms, they all look really similar. And you kind of stress this whole uh, mind-gut connection, right? Can you talk Mm. a little bit more about how your gut affects your mind? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's exactly why I named my podcast, The Mind Gut Connection. It's it's just, it has become so clear in everything that I've learned and everything that I've been through that it's so directly related. And a really great example is last year, I started the low FODMAP diet and it was going fantastically. And then uh, we like all went into this massive lockdown, right? So we weren't allowed to leave our houses and it was a really stressful situation and we all know why. Um, and I my gut got so bad, but I was eating very well. So again, like I said, it's, it's so deeply connected and I was, and I was very stressed. So it actually did not get better. The whole of lockdown, it just got worse. And I don't, I also think that now I realize I was eating one thing, which is kumara, which you call sweet potato. Um, yeah. So we have, I, I was eating a lot of sweet potato, which I realize now I'm actually intolerant to, but also that combined with the stress just made my stomach really, really bad, like the worst it's been in a long time. So it goes that way, right? Stress in your mind goes down and affects your gut. And then, like I said, your gut is your second brain. So this means that, I think this is really cool again. For example, there are some bacteria that really, really like junk food, right? They they love it. And fair enough, so do we. It's delicious sometimes. But what happens is if you feed your gut this certain type of food, let's say McDonald's, right? Eating McDonald's and just eating it like consistently, and then you just try to cut it out completely, the bacteria that like fried greasy food are going to be like, hey, we want our McDonald's. And they can literally hijack the connection to your brain and tell your brain that you should go buy McDonald's. 
And this is like super freaky, like I said, because it's not you, right? It's just living things inside of you. They've hijacked your system. And then they're going to your brain and saying, go buy McDonald's. We want to eat it. And this is really important to know because then you can kind of disconnect that thought from yourself and be like, actually, it's not me craving the McDonald's. It's this little bacteria that really wants it. And the more I feed it McDonald's, the stronger it will get and the stronger that craving will get. But if I stop feeding it McDonald's, that bacteria will get weaker. And so we can actually help the different populations of gut bacteria. And I just, I mean, I know that everyone thinks differently, but I love to think visually. I love to think in like, I just love to think there's an army of people inside my body just helping me to go. And so just feed the right side of the army, basically help them get stronger. And then they can hijack that connection to your brain and tell you that you really would like some healthy food because that happens. And I'm sure you know, Roy, that when you eat well and you have a few days where you don't eat well, you're, you start to crave good food and that craving actually happens. And I know I get that. I'm sure you get that as well. So that's really important to, to remember. It's not just about junk food. It's about helping the bacteria that like healthy food to grow and become stronger so they can tell you to eat more healthy food. It's it's amazing that back and forth that happens. So what are some of these uh, foods that actually feed your good army? Oh, so many things. For example, like any vegetable that grows in the ground, anything that gro- comes from the ground has been grown through this kind of, I guess, natural process, right? It's gone through the soil. The soil has these nutrients. The soil also has... Um, the bacteria and stuff and that goes all the way up into the plant and then the plant gets chopped down and you eat it and that's why it's so like enriching and I don't know if you've tried the difference between organic and non-organic vegetables but tend the organic vegetables tend to have more taste because they've been grown in a more natural kind of environment whereas the non-organic kind of vegetables have been sprayed with pesticides they may not have picked up all of that nutrients that you may have gotten from growing it organically and I'm not saying oh go eat organic everything because I know that's really hard (laughs) I know like that's maybe not the most achievable thing in the world I completely get that um but notice just take note of the difference between the two ways of eating um yeah so then you can get like milk that has got prebiotics in it um as well you can take probiotics as well if you if you feel like you're lacking it um just making sure that the food that you get that you're getting a really really big variety of food that grows from the ground and that's like also grains it's just anything that comes out of the ground is really good for your gut Anything that's prepackaged that maybe has um, all of the little chemical names on the label, think about the fact that you're putting those into your gut. And whenever like a company packages food, they have to make sure it has a long shelf life. So they tend to put preservatives in it. So if you think about it, if you have a food that's that's natural and doesn't have any preservatives, it tends to go off really fast, right? And that's because it's the bacteria around it is able to grow and basically consume it, right? Use it, live off of it, all of that sort of thing. So then if you think of it from the perspective of your bacteria in your gut, if you put a food that's coated in preservatives, how is your gut bacteria supposed to break it down if the bacteria in the outside world can't? So then you think, okay, interesting. For example, and I'm going to go back to McDonald's again because I'm not a fan. I left a cheeseburger in a car once ages ago for two weeks. We looked at the cheeseburger again two weeks later it was rock solid and it had no mold on it. Think about that. That is disgusting. Like it means that it has nothing good in it that not even a mold would want to eat it. Not even mold would want to grow on it or could grow on it. It's madness. (laughs) 
Yeah, there's actually um, a video of that that used to go around. Like they actually did an experiment. They left the exactly like a McDonald's cheeseburger out. And they also put, I believe it was like a watermelon or something like that. And lo and behold, the watermelon was disintegrating. All the bacteria were eating it. But the cheeseburger was just left there, you know, 190 days, whatever it was. So yeah, that that's so important, guys. And I think it's important to talk about the whole... uh, organic thing because obviously you mentioned like it's not it's not realistic for most people to tell them to buy organic grass-fed like all of these things right um but i think that a way that you guys or people can think about it is like yeah you may be spending a couple cents or maybe a dollar or two more to buy the organic but i mean think about if you're eating out at a restaurant right you're paying so much more for that meal i mean two to three times more than if you cooked it, right? So by sacrificing maybe going out less, you can also buy the organic and and afford it that way. It's just a different mindset that I feel a lot of people can kind of think about when they approach all of this. So that's so important, guys. And you talked about probiotics uh, and prebiotics. Can you explain those two things a little bit more? Um, not in a lot of detail, but basically prebiotics uh, prepare prepare your gut for food and probiotics help to feed the bacteria. I'm pretty sure that's the difference, but also don't quote me on that. <laughs> but I know they're both yeah. important. Yeah, they are. They are. That's why you hear it's kind of like a buzzword, right? Like probiotics <laughs> filled with prebiotic. You hear it a lot. Yeah. yeah. So going back to your story, you talked about stress during this whole lockdown, right? And, and you were so stressed. What have you done or what are some ways that people can deal with their stress? Because we know how important it is to deal with that, especially for gut issues. Do you have any advice for that? Yeah. And it's really ironic because I am a social media coach. Um, however, one of the organizations I'm involved with is Phone Free Day, which encourages you to get off your phone. And I don't encourage people to actually spend a lot of time on social media. So as a social media coach, I would encourage business owners to use social media effectively and use it smart. But also then at the same time, I encourage everyone to do that. If you're feeling stressed, and your gut's feeling crappy, maybe you're bloated, maybe you're just feeling like poop. Like, I don't know how, you know, you just that feeling of like, ugh. if you're feeling like that, and you go online to everyone's highlight reels, which is social media, it's not going to help, right? So if you're going to go on social media, firstly, try to use it with intention. So why are you even on it in the first place? Are you going on it to contact a friend? Are you going on it to compare yourself to what you see? Because if that's Maybe it's a subconscious thing you're doing, but don't do that. (laughs) Think about it. Think about it first. Just think, is this actually going to help me right now? The way that I'm feeling, where my my head is at? Is it going to help me to see people going out to dinner? Is it going to help me to see people, you know, having a great as day, which may just be two seconds of their day, right? That is something I really, really encourage. Another thing is to start um, being mindful and, and just incorporating some forms of meditation in your life. And I'm not saying I'm like a huge meditation guru, whatever. It's a practice like, okay, fine. I meditate for like a minute a day sometimes. Um, But just to take a second, take a breath, take a few breaths. I really, what I really like to do at the end of my podcast is take some five deep breaths because I feel like this just helps to just take your body out of a stress mode. It takes your body out of flight and fight. If you're able to just relax and just take some breaths, you're showing your body that it's okay. 
that you are not in any danger, that you're not in any trouble, no matter what you're feeling in your gut, if you're feeling stressed and your 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 gut is tense and your body is tense to just breathe to learn how to breathe then you can take it out of that mode and I know even you mentioned sometimes it gets hard to breathe when you're like talking fast or you're trying to get things done so yeah just breathe and that can be in the form of just breath work or, or meditation and getting off social media and just rolling it back with the food so I know that often when you're feeling crappy it can be really, really easy to turn to crappy food. And I know that it happens to me. I'm not saying I'm immune to that. Um, That's something I'm working through at the moment. So just to be aware of, you know, when you take that piece of chocolate, um, are you going to then eat too much or are you going to just eat like two pieces, three pieces and, and just in a more mindful way? So, you know, so you don't binge eat, so you don't make yourself feel even worse than you already feel. That's awesome. And To kind of add on top of that, you talked about the chocolate thing and kind of popped in my head. It's like, there are things that we can do to upgrade our food choices, right? So when she's talking about chocolate, I'm thinking she's talking about maybe the Hershey's bar or, you know, something like that. The classic M&M chocolate. But yeah, no, like, sorry, we have amazing chocolate in New Zealand. (laughs) So I just have to reiterate that. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That nice and nice, really good quality dark chocolate. Yeah, so that's what I was getting at, right? You can make these <laughs> upgraded um, yes. upgraded choices. So instead of going for the milk chocolate that's 60, 70% sugar, you can go for the darker chocolate, right? So uh, 80%, 85%, 90% is kind of intense. I, mm-hmm. I've had 90%, I can't do it. I think my sweet spot is around that 80% dark chocolate. Um, but you can always work your way up, guys. So for chocolate specifically, you don't have to go 90% right away. You can do 65 and then 70% and then, you know, work your way up. But all of this was so awesome. Um, one more thing before we kind of uh, end this. If you were to give a younger version of yourself some advice, what would you tell them? Oh, so many things. <laughs> um I would say to not focus on what anyone else is doing and just focus on yourself. And I think that kind of falls into what I said about social media is that comparison is the like, it just makes things so much harder. And recently I've realized to not compare. It's my life. No one else's. I can do whatever I want. None of your business. And this is so empowering. It's so freeing. So wherever you are at, younger self, Chelsea, you know, just focus on yourself, focus on bettering yourself to a standard, be better than you were yesterday, but don't worry about where everyone else is at. That's awesome. So actually, before we end, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate your time. Um, so much golden nuggets of information in here, and I hope that uh, it helps you guys out there listening right now. Um, so thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Yeah, of course. But I wanted to end it off with that breathing exercise that you mentioned, because I want people to experience, right, like how five seconds of breathing can really change the way you feel, change your mood. Um, So to end this podcast, can you kind of uh, take us through that? Absolutely. And I also want to say thank you. And um, if anyone wants to talk more about this, if they are in any kind of place where they just need to reach out to someone who's been there or or have some questions, then I also would encourage you to, to reach out to me on Instagram. So um, I'm sure you'll link it in the description, but it's at Chelsea Ritson underscore NZ on Instagram. 
Chelsea with a Y, not an A. <laughs> is there anything? Is there anywhere else that they can connect with you? Yeah, I also have a website which is chelsearitson.com. Again, Chelsea with a Y. Um, I should just be called Chelsea with a Y dot com or something. <laughs> um, yeah, so Chelsea C H E L S E Y R I T S O N dot com. Yeah, I'll link it in the description, guys. Um, so check her out on Instagram or her website. But other than that, Chelsea, take it away. Okay, so. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I want you to just stop for a second. We're going to take five deep breaths together. Okay, so let's all relax. Take ourselves out of stress mode. All right. All right, now I want you to breathe in with me and breathe out when I say inhale, when I say exhale. Ready? And inhale. Exhale. Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. Last one, make it the biggest one. Inhale. Exhale. Have a beautiful day. Don't you just feel good now? Anyways, let's wrap up this show, guys. I hope that you found this valuable. As always, I will leave everything linked in the show notes. If you aren't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you found this helpful, please consider sharing this with a friend and family. It really helps me get this message out to more people. That's it for today, guys. I'll see you in the next one. Bye.